Welcome to First Time Through. New Eyes on Castle Rock. With Kim Payne. And Otto Mullins. All right. Um, welcome to First Time Through. I'm your host, Otto Mullins. And I'm Kim Payne. And we are here to talk about Stephen King's newest novel, Later. Um, I was about to say written by Stephen King, but I started <laughs> with that this time. It came out uh, just this year, uh, 2021, in March. Um, we both got our copies delivered that day, and we took, you know, a couple, what, two weeks now to read it yeah. and get some thoughts. And we're going to do our episode. And this one is extra exciting because this is Kim's first time through any of Stephen King's book alongside me as well. That sounded weird. Let me say that again. This is Kim's first time through any of the books on our show. So this is her first chance to go through it and do kind of what we've been doing together. Uh, And I'm really excited about that just because I think we're going to have such different things that we noticed the first time through it. I think we will too. Um, I super enjoyed this book though. I sat down, I read it in two, I read it in two settings and the first setting I read like 30 pages and then I knocked the rest of it out. Oh my God. It's so good. So we were thinking that uh, since this was Kim's first time through on the show, she should do the uh, recap and uh, are you ready? Yeah, I think I am. I'm so excited. (laughs) All righty. So we open with uh, Jamie Conklin and his mom um, or we, with Jamie. We open with Jamie and he's like, I don't want to start with an apology, but I'm going to, even though that it's kind of against the rules. I think the first page, too, is important to know that we're looking at it. He's 22 as he's writing this book to us. Yeah. Where he starts is when he's six. And... Uh, you know, the theme is later. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to start when I'm six, but I, and I didn't know all of these things, but I found out later. I don't remember a whole lot from when I was, was six. So this was really formative for him. You know, his mom picks him up from school. She is a uh, literary agent. So she's got a book that she's trying to sell. And when they get home, um, their neighbor that, they live on Park Avenue, so they're well off. But their neighbor is standing in the the hallway, upset and crying because his wife has passed away. But it's really a strange setup because Jamie's talking to the wife. So, but he doesn't explain that, the that. Wife's dead right away. Like yeah, yeah right, yeah. right. He doesn't explain that right away. He just explains that he's talking to her and. And, he, and the, the husband, um, Professor Burkett, is just super upset. You know, Jamie's only six, so he doesn't really understand because he can see Mrs. Burkett standing there. Right. Um, and then it's like, oh, oh, Mona, Mrs. Burkett, died this morning and tells him what happened. And, and Marty, Mr. Burkett, is talking to Jamie's mom. And explaining what happened, Mr. Burkett is very upset because she didn't have her wedding rings on. And she had taken and them off, yeah. she had taken them off and hid them inexplicably. Um, she doesn't even know why she did it. And tells him that, tells Jamie that. But she tells Jamie where she hid the rings. Mom, Tia, comforts Mr. Burkett, 
They hang out and Jamie and his mom go home to have some dinner and oh, ooh, wait a minute. Mona kisses Mr. Burkett, Marty, on the cheek and he scratches his face where she does it. He doesn't know she's there, but there is a sensation. So, you know, we've established that the ghosts can talk. Jamie says that they don't tell lies and that they can interact moderately with the the real world. He says, yeah, so I see dead people as long as I can remember, (laughs) but not like in that movie. It's really fun to be reading a Stephen King book with pop culture references I get and know. (laughs) It's it's (laughs) a very different feeling. We find out that about uh, Tia's career, she's got, she is a literary agent for an agency that was founded by her brother, who now has Alzheimer's. Like... Pretty successful. Obviously, they live in on Park Avenue. That's they're not they're not hurting. They've got Regis Thomas, an author that writes misery style romance novels is that what you got too from that i was thinking it's george rr martin's like it's like his like oh uh, like it's yeah it's the game of thrones series and it's oh you know what it absolutely is and he dies out yep that's what i was thinking it was oh that's it was making fun of yeah i that's it but the the oh yeah that's yeah, yeah, and he's even like a bigger, like <laughs> huge, like bearded dude that's just like dead in his like uh uh what is it his uh, office his pool. yeah in his office <laughs> in his library I feel like that might be a, that's, a, a little that's bit some shade at George for sure <laughs> yeah I definitely feel that that's some shade yeah. yeah oh but but the stories the way he described him is uh kissing and hugging and i was like oh see that's misery romance trash i do get that <laughs> but you too. know but at the same time you know kind of so is game of thrones so is game of thrones <laughs> so um yeah the <laughs> sorry sorry but the ladies love those pounding hearts and torrid thighs that's what made me think of the misery trash so anyway oh no no no! Uh, i i get the misery aspect of it i just was looking for more of like a pop culture reference I think, but it absolutely than than him referring to himself but oh yeah love it so um they go over uh to the neighbor's house they order chinese and go over to mr burkett's house to to check on him after dinner because they're good friends i mean I know that in our world that we don't necessarily associate with our neighbors, but I think that if we lived in closer quarters, like like in an apartment building, that we might more so. I guess I, that's... I, I was about to say, I live in a duplex, and my I know my neighbors upstairs pretty okay. Like, we salt each other's steps when it's ice is out and that kind of stuff. Like, we look out for each other, but, like, I don't... I'm not taking them dinner or anything. I'm sorry, yeah, Dan, but, if you, you listen know. to this... <laughs> but I mean, I guess if if his mom died, you might, or if his, you yeah, know, that's you true. might do. I definitely might reach a out little a little extra. Bit. Yeah, right, definitely. Right. So, and and I guess because I live in a subdivision and I my neighbors aren't great. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, but anyway, <clears throat> I digress. I'm sorry, Otto. You're gonna have a bunch of editing. 
I don't. I, I really don't think it's going to be that bad. Um. So anyway, they go over there, and and Mrs. Burkett has told Jamie where she hid the rings, and in order to keep his secret, uh, Tia offers to help look for them and conveniently finds the rings exactly where Jamie told her that they were. Um, so they go to the funeral and he still sees Mrs. Burkett, but she's not as present as she was the first day. So we find out that um, he can see the, the ghosts but it's like a residual and over time they fade away. And after a few days they're gone, which is really his, important. His powers are later really on. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I saw We're some gonna people get a sequel series where it's him being a detective, like a private eye, like for sure. Right. I agree. But you Sorry. know, at the same time, there's some people that have talked shade about this book being a ripoff of a Dean Koontz series. And, um, so, I saw that before I started reading it, and I was like, oh, oh. Oh, oh, avoid these things. And then what I read it, that? and I'm like, uh, the Dean Koontz series is Odd Thomas. It starts with Odd Thomas. And it is a similar, but it's a completely different take. It's it's a similar theme, but it's a completely different take, just like the Sixth Sense or whatever. It's a similar, but but a really different perspective on it. So I think those people were wrong, but that's okay. <laughs> They're allowed. Um, so, so she's there at the funeral, but fading away. And then we find out later that he and his mom are talking and they're talking about the, yeah, the central I'm park gonna, guy. Real quick. Uh, I read the first paragraph of the Wikipedia of odd Thomas and it's in no way a ripoff. Like, right. And that's like saying this is a ripoff of The Sixth Sense. Just because they can both see ghosts doesn't mean that they're in any way in the same story. Right. It, it is a very different story. And I've read all the Odd Thomas books. I like them. I like that character. I like what he does with them. But it is not the same thing as this. Right. That's like at saying Cap Captain Marvel is a ripoff of Wonder Woman just because they're both women. It's, it's right. women superheroes. It's like, no, like, no. there's a lot more context than a lot more depth than that i yes. want to read this odd thomas series though that does sound interesting yeah they're really good also he's a short order cook so that's relatable <laughs> right <laughs> all right oh i got Sorry. red for a minute i never i never get in the red <laughs> <laughs> uh so um sorry to interrupt they, you they no no it's okay so we get a little bit more background and we find out about the the Central Park man, is what he calls him, the Central Park man. And he was five and on his way, or four, on a way to a preschool birthday party for a friend. And there's a man on a bicycle that has gotten hit by a car. And Jamie describes him to his mom and... You know, she's freaking out because this is all brand new to her. And this is the first time she knows that he's seeing something that she's not. And he... Okay, I have to tell you, all the vomiting in the book... Ugh. There's a lot of, like... <laughs> There's really a lot of vomiting. vomiting, yeah. Yeah, and I'm a sympathetic puker, so that was really tough. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, you know, he vomits and the guy waves at him and, you know, so she takes him home and cleans him up and, and lets him get some sleep. And then she gets the paper the next day and sees the picture of the guy and finds out that Jamie really did see him because he described him exactly how he appeared and exactly what he was wearing. And so, you know, she's like, okay, we'll, we'll figure this out, but let's not tell anybody. Let's keep it a secret between us because, you know, it's you and me against the world, kid. You know, no dad in the picture. She won't tell him who his dad is, which we find out more about later. But, you know, Uncle's, Uncle Harry, who was the founding, uh, the founder of the book agency, is, uh, he's got Alzheimer's. So it's just them. No other family. <clears throat> So, mom has a friend, Liz. Uh, Liz is a detective. Oh, I think it's important to say that Harry has, um, uh, like, uh, advanced early age Alzheimer's, too. He's, like, 40. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, like, in his 40s and, and got yeah. Alzheimer's, which I can't even fathom. I, mean, I am terrified of that happening. That sounds awful, and my heart goes out to anyone with that, like, yeah. terrible condition. Absolutely, because, man... I mean, I'm in my 40s, and I can't imagine not knowing who I am and who my family is, and ugh, it's yeah. just terrible. So, um, Uncle Harry, before he lost his facilities, got involved in a fund, um, a stock McKenzie fund, funds. a McKenzie fund is what it was called, and he kept sinking money in it and kept sinking money in it and kept sinking money in it. And, you know, it was, it was doing well. Um, so they were doing well, which is part of how they could afford to live on Park Avenue. Um, mm -hmm. and, but mom's friend, Tia's friend, Liz says, you know, get out while the getting's good. It's too good to be true. But, you know, they keep putting money into it and, keep putting money into it and then the bottom falls out of the stock market we're in 2008 now and uh they find out that it was a ponzi scheme the whole time so now they're broke no more no more place on park avenue they have to move uncle harry out of the the uh posh retirement memory care facility that he's in and they, I, I mean, they lose just everything. They have to move to a tiny apartment and a lot of their writers drop off and go other places. So now they're not even making as much money as they had been making, even though people are reading more. Uh, so, you know, in, in typical single mom fashion, she manages to... Uh, um, <laughs> brain land on her feet she manages to to end up in a place where they can rebuild because that's what that's what happens um, that's what you have to do when you're a single mom you don't really that's get what any you other have to options do. yeah you don't you don't have any other options you know it's not like you can be like oh well you're gonna have to take care of this for a little bit because i can't yeah so you know they they start kind of rebuilding and you know they've got one author who is their their cash cow he's their big writer he's a book every two or three years kind of guy but 
he but his books make a lot of money so you know they're counting on that there's going to be a new book from him everything's going to be okay because we're going to get this advance we're going to get our portion of it we'll be able to, to kind of get back on our feet a little bit it'll be fine well then he dies um and, and he's the kind of guy go ahead i was just gonna say that's uh and his name is regis thomas and that's the, yeah regis uh, thomas the george R. R. martin uh person that i was talking about that's this is that person this is yeah that's him so he uh so he dies and he's one of those kind he's the kind of writer he says he doesn't make any outlines and he doesn't make any notes because he's afraid somebody's going to steal it and leak his information on the internet so now not only is the last book not written they are in dire financial straits without his advance because they've already spent it they have the advance on it but and they've already spent it to pay bills and now the the publishers are going to want it back because there's not going to be a book. Right. Um, so <clears throat> they pick uh, Liz, the detective, and Tia pick Jamie up from school and take him to Mr. Thomas's home. And Jamie talks to Mr. Thomas, who, like we established before, can't lie because the dead can't tell lies which is another theme that we have talked about from mm -hmm. gunslinger to this book and and that's a yeah. theme that he uses through a lot of books is that the dead can't lie um so we'll get to that fun too connections. fun little connections yeah and then uh so mr thomas regis tells jamie the whole story who then relays it to his mother who records it on a cassette recorder or a phone or whatever she records it um and then she writes the book she takes all the story that he told her and reads his old books and writes the book and you know reads the old book and revis revises the book and then publishes it so and of course it's a posthumous book so it's going to make tons of money all of a sudden things get easier they move to a bigger apartment they they've got things moving in the right direction again and you know, it's kind of one of those you have to spend money to make money situations. And so now that she's got a an office again, she can attract more people so she can spend a little bit more money so she can make a little bit more right. money. Things are on the on well, the up I and feel up like, too. Like it's fun because the way that he writes it is they go like down and like he gives you such a detailed like you, you follow their mm -hmm. journey to the ground. And then as they're on their way back up, all of a sudden the story itself seems to just pick up real quick, too. Yeah. You know, it's yep. less exposition and less backstory. And all of a sudden we're meeting Thumper and we're meeting all of these other characters. It's really cool. Exactly. Yeah. And and um, yeah, so we meet Thumper or, or we learn about Thumper. We don't meet Thumper. We, we learn about Thumper, learn who about is who is basically like a mad bomber in the right. greater New York area um, that has been eluding law enforcement for over a decade. Um, and I know I mentioned previously that Liz, mom's friend, is a cop, uh, is a detective. So she picks Jamie up from school one day. I think it's important to note that uh, Liz and Tia, when he picks her up, have broken up. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot so about that. I put point, that in the wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because Liz Tia finds of, yeah. finds drugs. I forgot. I Yes, mm -hmm. I my, my outline's in the wrong order. Yeah, so 
Tia finds drugs in Liz's coat and they have a big, huge fight and break up because, uh, hello. <laughs> I have a child. Don't bring this. Brick I have of a heroin. child. Don't bring this brick of heroin into my house or cocaine or whatever it was. Don't bring this into my house. I, I have a kid. Oh, You're no a cop. I have a kid. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You know, this is not not appropriate. So they break up. Then Liz shows up and and basically kidnaps Jamie. It's like persuades six months later. him. Yeah, yeah. It's like six months later. Persuades him to get in the car and go with her. She won't take him home, but he's scared. I mean, he's I mean he's nine, I think. Right. Um. So I mean, he just goes with her and. They drive around because this guy, Terrier, Terrio, um, he is the suspect, like the lead suspect of being the thumper, the, the mad bomber. They're almost certain that he is it. So Liz thinks she's going to save her police career if she can break this open. So she kidnaps Jamie. And takes him to the places where she thinks that <clears throat> Terrio might be. They find him. Jamie forces him or asks him the questions about where he's hidden his last bomb. Well, because he's dead now. So uh, they know it's his last bomb because he, oh, he's committed suicide. He left a suicide note, says, yep, I'm him. I've left one more bomb. Ha, 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 good luck. And uh, so he's gross. He's He shot himself in the head. So when they find him, he's gross because his ghost has been shot in the head. Um, but he, so he tells Jamie where the bomb is. Liz gets to save the day indirectly. She calls it in as an anonymous tip, but... You know, it, it buys her some time because she had been working on it. It seemed and like then, she, was, she was definitely getting, like, investigated or something at least. Yeah, she, yeah. It's very sketchy. And since Jamie's only, like, 12, 13, you don't really, as the reader, get to understand what she's doing or exactly why she's doing it. You just know it's not right. Right, yeah. I'm sure that, you know, Liz found the drugs. I mean, she had been... We find out later that she had been running them for a while, but she had right. gotten sloppy. So people knew. They just had and to catch her. She was originally on this case as well. She was in charge of the bombing case, and she just right. squandered it for years. Or like It seems like for a while, and she eventually lost the case. And so right. it seems like she's trying to recapture the glory and say, like, you shouldn't have taken me off this case. This was mine in the first place. It was mine in the first place, and I'm doing this heroic thing, so, you know, no, I couldn't possibly be doing something that I shouldn't be doing, because look, I did this thing. So, uh, it's so, it, Jamie has a different feeling from this ghost than he has from any of the others. I mean, he's old enough now that he's experienced this more and, you know, obviously he doesn't talk about it, but this guy feels different. From the very beginning, he feels different. And he doesn't go away. You know, Jamie sees him in his elevator and, like, weeks later, it's sees him in the elevator and sees away, him outside of school. He starts following him, too. He starts following him. He's everywhere. He's at school. He's in the elevator. He's in his kitchen. He's... And... and 
interacts with Jamie. He he motions at him and he tries to get his attention. He's trying to pull him away and he's trying to suck him in. So definitely a different uh, spirit. He's haunting than, Jamie. He is haunting Jamie. And, and it's really... Um, it's intense and you know this kid's young still and you know so now and and who's he going to talk to he can't tell his mom well and i think too like because yeah liz kidnapped him and and made him swear that she wouldn't that he wouldn't tell her his mom well of course he did you know and then she's like leave my kid alone don't ever come around us again or i will blow you up i will make sure that everybody knows what you did and so it's kind of a uh, who's got who situation. And what were you going to say? Uh, I don't remember. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so. And then, no, that's it. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah. So Jamie goes and talks to uh, Professor Mr. Burkett, his former neighbor, because he needs somebody that he can confide in. And. You know, he's like, I think he'll believe me because I'm going to tell him about Mona telling me where the rings were. I'm I'm going to tell him that part of it. So I think he'll believe what I'm saying. And he's a smart guy. And, you know, he I trust him to not blather to anybody. And maybe he can help me figure this out. So he tells Professor Mr. Burkett all of the everything that's going on. And uh, Professor Burkett recommends... Um, a ritual, the ritual of Chud, which is basically um, a confrontation. It's not a physical confrontation. It's a psychic confrontation, a battle of wills between this spirit that won't leave him alone and this kid. And so... uh, And also, like, it's from It. Like, that was Yes, the battle of Chud is from It. The ritual of Chud. Mm-hmm. And I know that they talked about that in the movie. And when we get to the book, it's. I'm sure it's very different, but it was. Oh, so my gosh. Like knowing. But you were like, oh, yeah, I know what that is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So which, of course, did my little my little heart good because I love all those crossover points. It's Ritual of Chud. Jamie gains control because, of course, he wins because he's the, the good of guy. Course, um, right now is when we have to stop being super in depth about it. And my favorite part of the entire book. Uh, so, okay, we'll but we're going to come back to it. Uh, so he he gains control over this spirit. It's super crazy. We'll get to the details. Um, and then, you know, we've moved on. He's in high school. He's on the tennis team. Liz kidnaps him again. And oh, how Liz has fallen. She's super strung out. And... You know, Jamie's super scared to go with her, but she threatens him because apparently all those months ago she made or all those years ago, she made a recording, too. So now she's got this thing to hold over him. Um, So she takes him to this drug lord's house hours away from home so that she can have Jamie talk to his supposed ghost and. and find out where he's got this huge score of pills that she thinks she's going to sell and use that money to run away and live happily ever after. Um, he, because he has control of Terrio's spirit, 
he he recalls that spirit he has that that uh whistles him there and and oh right before that though is when liz uh oh liz shoots the guy yeah Yeah. like so jamie's like uh okay he's laying here and blah 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 and then jamie sees a sandwich on the table and he's like, oh, he's not dead. And then Liz just shoots him. Oh, now he's dead. So talk and to his like, ghost. Don't worry. I can fix that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, whew. so this poor kid, all this trauma, kidnapped, seeing somebody shot in front of him. He has to recall this, this ghost, this spirit that he has had control of for all these years and been able to keep away to save himself from Liz because Liz is going to kill him too. Are he's sure that Liz is going to kill him too because she didn't get what she wanted. So uh, <clears throat> he shows up. The the bat the Terrio shows up. Basically drives Liz insane. Liz falls down the step and breaks her leg. And Jamie calls his mom. Mom <laughs> calls the cops. Everybody shows up. He has saved the day. You know all the bad guys are dead in this this spot. Uh, but he has saved the day and uh, has to tell his mom all the details. And uh, yeah, and then his uncle Harry dies and he goes, they go to talk to him or they go to take care of him. And so he gets to talk to his uncle Harry and find out after all this time who his dad is. Bum, bum, bum. Right? Um, okay. It, yeah. Honestly, like, yeah, I think that's perfect. Okay. Um, Sorry. So we we just get we just get so off off track. We get so into the story. Yeah, the recaps are really hard. (laughs) They are because it's either like we go way too quick and it's like over in ten minutes and it's like okay, I guess we'll start the analysis or we accidentally just analyze and it takes forty minutes. (laughs) Right. No. Yeah. You know. Yeah, but you know. Last week with the gunslinger, I thought that you know that fifteen minute recap that. gave us plenty of time to because there was so much to talk about. But anyway, okay, we're gonna do oh. this. We got this. All right. So um, before we go on, though, we do have a couple of things we want to talk to you guys about. Um, so uh, hopefully this week you listened to our mini sode that came out. We talked about uh, the, the end, end of, the whole, of mess. the whole mess. I didn't read it. I messed up, but I did go back and read it, and I really enjoyed it a lot. Uh, there's some like Kurt really pointed out the formatting in that, and I really appreciated that. Mm-hmm. Like, I think we would have ended up talking about it, but the fact that he brought such special attention to it was cool. Um, yeah. So make sure you go check that out. Um, we're gonna be having another one in two weeks on March 29th, uh, and we're gonna be inviting our social media director Tess who you all will be meeting very soon. She's finishing up her final year in school, um, and she's going to be joining our team, uh, hopefully at the April, it looks like. Yeah, it looks like uh, she's wrapped up her stuff and is going to be joining us then. Super excited. Yeah. I think she's going to bring a really neat dynamic to what we do. Yep. Um, And, uh, yeah, so make sure you check out those mini episodes. They should be right here on the same channel, uh, and uh, they're just not with the same, like... uh, cut what is it i guess you'd say numbering scheme um yeah they're gonna be yeah then um Um, we also have uh our patreon episodes that are still coming out on wednesdays so every wednesday we've been trying to do uh they're not even episodes really we kind of like they morphed into something different we're doing commentary for the stand episodes or for a movie so kim and i will try and go 
count down three, two, one, hit play at the same time. So if you're really interested in what we have to be disappointed about in the stand, go check it out on our Patreon. You can get involved right. for as low as $2 to get these extra episodes. And then our episodes even come out then- a couple of days early. And count down three, two, one, and watch with us so that when we're going, ooh, oh, ooh, you'll yeah, know. <laughs> you know what we're doing. Um, you know, Kim also just this week, she sent out uh, our one of the first pint glasses uh, to Jake. And we're very excited and we're hopeful. Uh, we can't wait for him to get it. And we're really excited. So thank you for that. Yeah. If you've been listening. That's exciting. Go ahead. You say you're, you're going to say. That's super exciting. And... I know that you've been listening along. We're getting ready to start another book. Oh, yeah. That's exactly what I was about to segue into, too. Perfect. Wow. <laughs> Funny. We are good at this. I'm just... We got we this. really <laughs> talented. Um, so, I'm sure if you've been listening, you've heard my incredible promo about Revival. Um, I still don't know anything else about it, except it's about a man trying to bring his wife back to life, and he is a preacher. Um, but I'm very excited to get into it. I know we have a couple of you that have started reading it alongside of us. Uh, you know, make sure if you're ever looking for your, some Stephen King books and you're bored, if you want to go to your local Goodwill, check around and see what Stephen King books they have, and then send me a Facebook message. I'll tell you to pick it up for me or not, and I'll pay for you to ship it to me. Just let me know. I found a first edition copy of The Revival last week at Goodwill. It was so serendipitous, uh, and I'm so happy that I found it because I'm really excited to get into it, and I hope you join us starting on March 25th for our, the first part of the revival, and then on April, or no, March, no, April 1st. April right? 1st. April, April 1st, 1st will be the second, second half. Part. And yeah. there's no joke there. Nope, oh, no joke. That, it's going to be that so was good. That joke, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we're going to pop in another uh, novella, so one-shot episode on April 8th. We're going to read The Body. We're working our way through different seasons, and I'm really excited about that one. Um, good. Yeah, it's the the first three stories of different seasons are so good and obviously very different, and so I'm really looking forward to the discussion of you know the trip the uh exploration adventure of these 12 year old boys uh, yeah. so that's pretty exciting i was thinking too uh you know this is the first time you're gonna hear it along with uh, everyone if we keep this in the episode but i thought it'd be interesting is after we finish different seasons we do the green miles since we both have them in the original like part yes in the serials yes yeah so we do like serial one and then we take a couple of books and then serial two so that way we have like these little buffer episodes still but it's a different kind of concept or we do the bizarre of bad dreams and we have the viewers the listeners vote between the two that they would rather hear oh yeah let's do that let's put up a poll on that remind me to do that yeah yeah Um, we're gonna put up a poll between if after different seasons we should continue the smaller uh one shot episodes by the bizarre of bad dreams or the Green Mile serials. Okay. And um, I'm going to go ahead and tease the next two as well, because we're kind of going to go from an Adventures of 12-Year-Old Boys to a couple of young adult fiction books. We're going to go to Eyes of the Dragon, um, which was written for Stephen King's 14-year-old daughter because she didn't like horror novels. So I'm super excited to get to something that is a fantasy instead um and then Otto do you want to talk about the bridge absolutely um and after I've the dragon we're going to segue into a book 
called The Bridge. It is the first of the Mind Bridge trilogy, and it's written by a local author and one of our friends, Joe Leaguers. Uh, it is a young adult novel, uh, and I'm really excited to get into it. It's got a blend of sci-fi fantasy elements all together. Um, I haven't had a chance to sit down and start it yet just because of all the books we read. Right. Uh, but when we do, uh, I'm really excited about that. I I love young adult literature. It's what made me get fall in love with reading in the first place. And, you know, sitting down with my mom for the first time and reading through Harry Potter and Aragon and, and talking about those things with her are the, honestly the reason why we're doing this now. And I'm really excited to get back into some young adult literature with that, too. I'm really looking forward to it, too. And some of the reviews I've seen have been so good. So, so I'm positive. real excited. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to make yep. sure we put the Amazon link in the list below In our this. page. Yeah. I, we'll put it on here and we'll put it on our Facebook page. So make sure to follow us there. Follow us on Facebook. That's the last thing that we have to tell you. Follow us on Facebook. Interact with us. Tell us things. Tell us what you think. Let me know what you think. Tell Vote in our poll. Vote in our poll. Tell me I'm wrong. That's what I want. I really, Tell me I just, I'm wrong. You, you, Kim's rarely wrong. I'm often wrong. And I want to be told it so that way I can try and argue my way out of it. Well, um, and I, you know, and that's the whole thing of this is I really like getting your new perspectives. Yeah. Because you look at way. things very different than I do. Yeah. All and right. Just the way that we like look... The way that we like process media is, is different, you know? It is. It is. Um, and so, so much fun. <laughs> and uh, finally, in this little interlude, I think the most important thing is to say thank you for listening and thank you for being here. And we hope you really enjoyed this episode of Later, by or this episode of First Time Through New Eyes on Castle Rock, where we cover Later. most of it i feel like we could jump right in and talk about where um well i guess we could talk about the writing at the beginning a little bit i, well, I want to talk about know? the writing at the beginning a little bit and i definitely want to dig in where um where they go and and meet mr thomas i think that that's definitely. really where we get into more of the meat of the story. I think what we covered in the, the recap for the beginning of the story really gives you what you need to know about that. hundred percent agree um, with that. Um, and uh, I think what's really great too is, you know, when you start reading it, it gives you that sense of that Pulp Fiction novel like this is. And like this is what was really fun for me is this is the first time I've read one of these Pulp Fiction novels that he's written. So... Mm -hmm. And Pulp Fiction, um, it's just kind of, in my eyes, Pulp Fiction has always been, uh, you know, popcorn fiction, like a popcorn movie. It's just, it's easy to consume and digest because you just want a nice, fun story to, like, read through. Especially, like, uh, pulp uh, crime fiction. Oh, yeah. And, you know, when pulp crime fiction was in its heyday, there just wasn't a whole lot of huge novels being published. And they were cheap and easy to pick up. You know, you could pick up a novel for a dime and 
and it was cheap paper. They didn't last long. This is definitely a step up quality wise than that, but, I mean, but I, it's got that same vibe, that same yeah. feel. And it's no more. It clocks in at about two hundred and thirty pages, so it's a really it's a it's an afternoon or two. And, yeah. Uh, it's written. You know, it's fun for me because since this is the newest thing he's written, you know, I can really see how far his style has come since we just mm-hmm. read Gunslinger last. And it, it's a very. He gets more to the point on everything now. You know, it's less beaten around the bush. It is very. It's, it's a lot more direct. But in the same way, the way the flow of it is a lot prettier. So yeah, and and he doesn't he doesn't waste words in this one. Yeah, you know, and I don't um, think not that he, I feel like he wastes words. That is absolutely not a thing I feel like. But he's he doesn't he said it's set in the re, the the real world. I'm gonna use that in air quotes. It's set in our world or right. what feels like our world. So he doesn't have to build a whole lot of things. No. He says you're in Central Park. So you you have a visual of where you are in Central Park. Well, you know, he says yeah. you're in New York City. You know where you are. You know, you at least have an idea of what New York City looks like. So he doesn't have to really describe things. And I think, too, it adds to Jamie's character as a writer. It lets us know, like, what who Jamie is as a writer. And if we're going to be following, you know, Jamie's story that he's writing as he's 20 or 23 or whatever, like, yeah. we need a good, um, like, understanding of... I think he's 22, right? Yeah, he's 22. Yeah. Um, we need a... It's a good understanding of how Jamie writes, and I like that a lot, too. And, you know, and I appreciate that, you know, 70-plus-year-old Stephen King is writing from a 22-year-old's perspective, and it feels like a young person writing it, which I think is an accomplishment in and of itself, because it's real hard to capture that naivety and inexperience yeah, especially when you are writing as a 70-year-old man, writing as a 22-year-old, talking about his life as six years old. You know, right. there's, a, there's a certain charm that Stephen, there's a certain charm that Steve just still has when you're talking mm-hmm. about that. And it's really, it's good. Um, hold on just a second. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, so, you know, we talked about how it starts and how, you know, it just throws Jamie right into meeting, uh, Mrs. Burkett and you did a great job of setting up and explaining his powers and everything. So as they go through and do that and everything, we get to this point where we meet Regis Thomas, who is the George R. R. Martin in my mind, and he dies before his final book can come out and he's this big cash cow. So Liz... Dutton, she is a, um, oh, um, she is a, um, police detective. Sorry, I don't know why I blanked right. on that so hard. <laughs> uh, and she's dating Jamie's mom, Tia. And Tia knows at this point and, like, really believes in her son. So they all essentially end up going to Thomas's house to find and talk to his ghost. And like Kim said, you know, they're able to, like, break it down. And he asks him about the book, and he relays that information to his mom. Um, And it ends up being this really cool plot point because Liz 
De Dutton, the detective that's there, was also taking a recording at the same time. Right. She didn't believe. She was a, a non-believer when they went there and she still didn't completely buy it, but she took a recording of it because she's calculating. Yep. Um, she, she's, she's not doing things on the up and up. So she doesn't expect other people to do things on the up and up. And I feel like that she did that because, you know, she knew that she was on the verge of getting caught. Right. And she wanted something to be able to control them. Um, you know, you you can't testify, you can't say anything about me because I have this information that you don't want out there. Um, so I think that she was very calculating on that. Um, yeah. And Liz doesn't seem to particularly like Jamie all that much. You know, it seems like she tolerates her girlfriend's kid more to the tone. It's not really like an embracing of your girlfriend's child that you would expect in a relationship. Right, right. I don't know that I could be with somebody long term that didn't love my kids, yeah, you know, and that, definitely. And so I feel like that that's another spot where I think Tia was a little bit blind. You know, they warned her about the Ponzi scheme and she didn't listen. And I think that she's just got a little bit of blind spot in some places. Um, yeah. So when Stephen starts telling us, or when I keep saying Stephen, it's so formal. Right. I'm sorry, Steve. So when Steve starts telling us about Liz and he starts giving us these hints that she's a dirty cop, that's when we find out about the drugs inside of the house. Mm -hmm. And we kind of get this sense that uh, even 22-year-old Jamie doesn't know how bad Liz really was. You know? Well, like he... he I think he, that he is grasping it, but he didn't, I think he's trying to put himself back in that, and he didn't realize how bad it was at the time, but you know, at 22, he's already been through all the killing and all that stuff, and so he knows, much, I think he knows now that she was just a rotten person, and that he just, he missed the red flags, and mom missed the red flags, more importantly. Well, mom found the one big red flag of the drugs in the she, house. She did, but she missed other things. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And then Tia, Jamie's mom, is an incredible character. She's a very strong single mother who is doing a bang-up job. And, and again, well, love the fact that he writes a strong female character. Right. Yeah, it's really good. Both of the two main women in here are very dynamic, interesting characters. Um, and especially, too, because, you know, Liz, um, you know, Tia, we find out, you know, she's a bisexual woman. Um, she's obviously, you know, she has a son and she's also had a girlfriend. But Liz, we find out, is a lesbian. And she's ends up using it's a, it's part of her motivation for like at the end. Uh, and she, you know, has explained some of her, like, uh, thoughts about the world and how police officers work and stuff. And I thought it was really interesting that Stephen King would write those kind of, uh, those viewpoints in 2021, especially. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it is, the world that he writes has changed so much. And it's really nice to see him changing with it. 
Yes. There's, it could have been so easy for him to just stay in the 80s and 90s and, you know, early 2000s where he was just the biggest thing in the world. But he's not. He's constantly changing and becoming a different writer. And I just think that that is the most admirable thing about him. Yeah. He's, he's um, a really different person than he was when, we, when he wrote The Stand. Yep. And it's great. Um, you know, so we get... Uh, so we get the the recording, you know, mom records Jamie relaying the information that he's getting from Mr. Thomas and Jamie, Jamie wants Liz to believe him. He wants Liz to like him. He wants Liz to believe in him, um, which I think is a really young child thing. He wants his mom's girlfriend to like him more. So he, he talks Mr. Thomas into, because he remembers uh, Mrs. Burkett, Mona, kissing Mr. Burkett on the cheek and him scratching at it. So he knows that Mr. Thomas can interact with, with his mom and with Liz at least a little bit. So he talks Mr. Thomas into going and blowing in Liz's face so that she feels something. Right. And so she gets a so, little bit of an, So she gets a, a little sensation. bit of a... Mm-hmm. And so she has, she believes him a little bit more. Yeah. Um, well, she's not my mom. And, uh, you know, this whole section is actually pretty long in comparison to the rest of the book. But mm-hmm. I think that without this section being so long, without Steve establishing that there is doubt in everyone that he's going to meet but he does have the information to like prove it um just kind of sets up the rest of the story you know that there's going to be more people that he might share this information with and he's good enough at convincing people that it's true um and you know we see that later on um but i think it's a good way to like establish how not almost charismatic and wise jamie is at a young age yeah, and I mean, because even his mom doesn't, I mean, she believes, but she has her doubts, too. Yeah. So, um, I mean, he does, and he does such a great job. That is a long section, but he does such a great job of just convincing every. I mean, he convinces everybody. Um, I really like, uh, then we get... Well, we can we talked about this a little bit, and I don't think it's like super important to like analyze. But I did want to talk about how we get into the Central Park Man and Stephen King's descriptions of horror, like second to none, incredible. Oh yeah, you know the way he describes this man being cut in half and the blood spread across the like sidewalk, and then later on, Terrio he committed suicide by putting a gun in his mouth, and so on top of being Jamie being haunted by this ghost. It's a ghost with half of his head blown off. And so yeah. every time Jamie talks about it in the novel, he brings up the fact and he's like, and I still couldn't see half of his jaw and his like eyes. Like it was so weird, but I could hear him talking. And just those descriptions of horror in this one are really, really spot on. Mm-hmm. He really wants without to see being, him. Without being gratuitous. Except the puke is gratuitous. Except the puke. There's a lot of vomit. Yeah, you know, a lot of vomit play in this one. So we get... So, um, yeah. No, I was about to go into Liz picking up from school for the first time. Well, we I think it's important that we talk about that mom wrote the book. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, mom took the information. She wrote the book. She reread. She rewrote. She reread. She rewrote. Smashing success. Smash. Right. Nobody suspects anything, and that I think is important. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah, it's even uh, got a couple of like reviews that are like, this is his best work he's ever put out. This is amazing. This is great. Blah, 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 blah. So it's so, something uh, that definitely becomes, um, like, and especially since Liz has that recording now, too, it, it's, mm-hmm. you know it's going to end up being so important. And I think, too, that we can always tell when we're reading a Steve book that if something in the exposition and plot, if a scene takes a really long time, it, there's a lot of callback to it later on, you know? Yep. So this Regis Thomas scene that we have that's really long, it's long because there's a lot of information that we have to know for the rest of the novel. Right. Um, and I think it's cool, too, because this is the first time that we see a ghost try to not tell him something. Because Regis Thomas, yeah. at first, doesn't want to tell him the book, but we see he that can't Jamie lie but he can he does say i don't want to tell you <laughs> and it's you know and it's interesting too cuz like we look back at the gunslinger i was just thinking about the succubus right mm-hmm. um which maybe it's not a dead creature maybe it is a dead creature um but you know it had a similar like scheme to the and i think that you know we get later on we find out that these ghosts they can make statements of untruth but they can't directly answer questions falsely right yeah they can um if you don't ask a direct question they can say things that may or may not be the answer but it's correct the answer but if you ask a direct question they have to answer that question with a truthful answer yeah exactly and i think uh setting that up now showing that there is something about Jamie that forces these ghosts to tell the truth is really important as well. You know, that Mm -hmm. there's some extra special power about him that is forcing these ghosts to tell him the things that he needs. Well, and I think that Steve has established in his world, whether it in his universe of books, the dead can't lie. And I feel that. I get that, too. But I think that what's important about this, though, is as much as the dead can't lie, I think that he's also established that the dead don't have to talk. Yes. So the fact that Jamie asks these questions that they don't want to answer, and instead of them just not talking, they're forced to say something. Like, to yeah. the point where even the ghost feels a physical pain or sensation. You know, and we see that right. a couple of times in this one. You know, uh, Terrio feels it later on, and Regis feels it right now. And so, you know, knowing that Jamie has something that hurts the ghosts is really an interesting concept. Right. Yeah, he's got, uh, it's not just he can see them, but he's got some kind of additional hold, some kind of an additional power that, that gives him some kind of control, dominion, something over right. that that the spirit dead, world. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me, I feel like he's going to have some kind of like, uh, um, uh, like speech ability or something like the ability to just like, like lay a glamour or something on someone. And when he talks, it like forces them, like there's an illusion that forces them to tell him like what he wants to know. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? It does. It absolutely does. And I think like 
I have no doubt in my mind, though, like, as we get to the end of this, you'll understand why. This is the start of a series. This yeah, has to be, I, right? I, it has to, I mean, I guess it doesn't have to be, but it's set up so well to be it's, that I can't imagine that there won't be more with this with this character. And it just He's just too good. Off of all of the current pop culture, and I think that like it, it almost reads like it could be. I thought it would be turned into an HBO show already. Like that's how good I like. Like it would be such mm-hmm. a good HBO show. So it really would. I'm interested to see. Yeah, what are you listening? HBO, there. Netflix, Hulu, <laughs> all somebody. Of those, the HBO producers <laughs> that listen to our show. Thank you for listening, and uh, don't forget. I will audition for any role. Uh, <laughs> so um, they end up leaving. They have those recordings. We have all of that new established information about the ghosts. And they get back. And this is where we start to do a little bit of montage time skippy stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, we see that the book's been written. It's been a success. We see that Liz and Tia have broken up because of the drug scandal. Um, right. You know, Liz... Uh, we make some references here because it's being told to us in the past tense, but Jamie tells us that people were starting to investigate Liz because she, they thought she was a dirty cop. And he says, spoiler alert, they were right. And I just that, yeah. I thought it's a cute little part. Um, it is. And, you know, I, I mean, I am on, totally team Tia Jamie on this, and I can't imagine anybody's not. I would be livid if somebody did that. You know, if somebody I trusted brought something illicit into my house like that oh my gosh you know and they talk about that tia made liz leave her gun locked in her car she wouldn't even let her bring her gun in but but you know i'm gonna bring this brick of cocaine it'll be fine what is your thought (laughs) process there yeah yeah i mean honestly she's you know She's probably at this point started to use a little bit of it, and like you know, I would say to, that yeah, that's yeah. that you know, it's starting to affect her uh, <clears throat> reasoning, mental, <laughs> mental faculties. <laughs> yes. Um, so, uh, you know, we skip forward a couple of years, and Jamie's now in eighth grade. Liz's life has been going down the train, the drain a little bit, and this bomber Thumper is now gone from uh, you know he's mentioned like once earlier on. But now he's at the, 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 the peak of his reign of terror. You know, he's planted a right. bunch of bombs. He's killed a lot of people. And Liz was in charge of it. And she's just butchering the case. So she picks up Jamie and kidnaps him um, to like, what is it? To do the, um, uh, to go and talk to him. And this is where we get those like, uh, those incredible descriptions of his face and everything. Yeah. And, you know, they, the somebody there was a a the task force had been disbanded but the detectives that were still working his case had figured out basically who it was and were on their way to arrest him and he escaped them terrio the the thumper escaped them and went to the park pinned a suicide note to his jacket and killed himself in the park so Liz picks Jamie up from school because she knows he's got this power over, that he can see him and that he can make him tell the truth. Yep. And so it's, it is, you know, it's reads really cool because Jamie at 22 years old is almost trying to justify to the audience why he just kind of like gets in the car and goes along with it. And mm-hmm. Liz is manipulating him and talking about how uh, 
she needs his help to find this last bomb so that way uh, she can save all of these people. And so, you know, we just get this perspective from future Jamie, and he's like, I really, I just thought I was trying to save all these people, and I thought we were trying to help and all of this stuff. And you get these little moments where Liz is, like, uh, scheming with, like, this contact that she has about where the bomb is. And once she gets mm-hmm. the information from him, um, she ends up, like, going in a roundabout way to get it back to herself so she can call it in. Right. But be- before all that, though, you can just tell that she's going to lose her job. Right, right. She's she is absolutely trying to use Jamie's skills to save her own back. Mm-hmm. She she is trying to This is this is completely 100% selfish. I mean, yeah. the the side effect is going to be that those people are going to be saved from when his bomb goes off. That is not her primary objective. Right. Not at all. And, and then after they find him and he talks to him and gives them the information, she basically abandons Jamie. She's like, you know, he vomits again and she's like, eh, and goes and does her own thing. She finally yeah. ends up taking him home, but it's like hours later and she makes him help clean out her car and it's gross. I mean, and, and it's terrible. And you just really get to see like how... Liz uses him as a token and a pawn to get what she needs. Right. She is not a good person. And whatever good things that there were about her at this point, to Jamie, they're gone. Mm-hmm. He feels hurt and betrayed, too. Right. Um, and after he gets dropped off, his mom is like, what happened to you? Where were you? You didn't call me. I didn't know. And, uh, you know, he doesn't even get a word or two out before he, she's just like, it was Liz. And, you know, she just knew that she had taken her son. Right. Uh, and it's and, really... And, Go ahead. And she does the mom thing immediately. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, go, Tia. <laughs> yeah, Tia's Because, you know, that's totally exactly what I would have done. Yeah. Don't you dare. Uh, just pulls a real Molly Weasley. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and I think, like, what's fun is, you know... Like we were talking about earlier, the story is told from future Jamie's point of view. So it's fun to see what parts of information are important to him. Because it means that mm-hmm. 22-year-old Jamie just has this really sweet memory of when he was 12 and his mom got all fired up that someone would even kind of threaten him or do anything bad to him. And I right. think that that's just a really touching like thing to think about is that, you know, there are those memories that I have of my mom being really protective of me and taking care of me and... It just made Jamie an extra human character for me in that moment. Yes, yes. I mean, I grew up with a single dad, and so it, 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 it's the same for me, you know, because right. my dad put, yeah, it would have been the exact same situation at my house. So, um, so we get. I think we the, we had talked about this earlier with Thomas. So now we'll talk about it with Terrio, aka Thumper, and we're just gonna start saying Thumper. Because, uh, yes, in case I'm it's saying Terrio wrong, <laughs> we can't <laughs> right. get roasted for the whole episode. Um, so he goes up to Thumper and he sees him and he has his head blown off and he starts trying to ask him questions, but Thumper is almost not answering. And then he gets this like pain sensation and he pulls that answer out of him and he tells him where the final bomb is. Mm-hmm. Um, but when he does, he it flashes with this like mm-hmm. bright light. 
and he like you know it's it's there's this like weird moment where he just doesn't understand what happened and it looked different than all the other ghosts and he doesn't think right. anything of it and well and i think it kind of almost hypnotized him a little bit it mesmerized him you know it just kind yeah. of like made him like walk away from it right and so you know liz ends up getting the information and they go forward and everything but when he ends up waking up that night he wakes up at like two or three in the morning and he looks out the window and he sees Thumper, his ghost, standing across the street, just beckoning for him to come here. And starting from that point on for it seems like, what, two, three years, he's haunted mm-hmm. by Thumper, this ghost who is always there now for a couple of years. And, you know, in this world where we've established the ghosts only hang around for a couple of days and then they move on, Jamie is extra scared that this ghost is still here and it's following him. Right. And it's all like calling to him. It's not just following him. It's it's like, it's like, yeah. I mean, it definitely from, from the very beginning, you know, with the, the extra light and the mesmerizing and, and this, this spirit is different than anything else Jamie has encountered. Um, so Jamie, you know, we get, uh, uh, like, as he's, like, montaging and doing all that, he has this fun moment. And it, like, you know, it made me think of, uh, oh, my gosh. Oh. Ah. Oh. Glenn Bateman. Um, because it's just this uh, character that you didn't think was going to end up being super important. And then he goes and talks to him and he has all of this information that's super important. And you're like, oh, mm-hmm. wow, you're so smart and you're so helpful. Like, thank you yeah. for all of this. Um, yeah, and- Professor Burkett is awesome in that yeah. way. And yes, he, he does call back to Glenn a little bit. and and uh, So uh, he's the one that ends up telling him about the ritual of ch- uh, Chud, mm-hmm. which is, uh, and I thought it was cool because I didn't know this, but it, apparently it's originally a ritual where they bite each other's tongues and have a right. battle of wits and try to make each other laugh. And the first one to laugh and let go of the tongue loses. Um, and Jamie, you know, the child takes itself literally and he's like, you want me to make out with that thing? No, I'm not doing <laughs> right. that. And, uh, you know, it's fun too because we're reading this from Jamie's point of view in the future and he's doing all these things and he's like, you know, now that I'm looking back on it, that old man was full of crap. There's nothing that he was saying. Oh was yeah, true. absolutely, absolutely. Twelve year old me, right? And it, it, you know, for twelve year old him, it gave him a tool, and because he believed it fully when he was twelve, it was an effective tool. Hmm. Foreshadowing. And I mean, really? I, I mean, think about it. Okay. No, it makes sense. When, though. when you believe, when you are five years old and you believe in the tooth fairy. And the money's under your pillow. Hundred percent. Yeah. There's no one hundred percent. There's no doubt in your mind that the tooth fairy is real. Whereas and now as an adult, I doubt everything exists. I doubt that I'm even. I think that I'm in a simulation sometimes. <laughs> so of course, like it makes more sense that a child is, you know, more believable is able to make a hundred percent faith in something. Well, and especially when it's coming from somebody that he respects and trusts, and he knows is really smart. And sounds, you know, so smart, you know, and sounds really smart. And why would he lie to him? Yeah, he just wants to help. Right. Um, 
so he tells him about the ritual chud and he makes up that story about the yetis which i thought was real fun and he's like Mm -hmm. when you would find a yeti you know it's not always you know i'm pretty sure this part's just made up but you know you'd have to engage the yeti in the ritual of chud or you'd be haunted forever by the yeti and he's like whoa that's just like my situation (laughs) and uh so they end up deciding on what to do they make a plan and they don't tell us the audience about it so it's extra like creepy and mm-hmm. we just go about the rest jamie just goes about his life and he sees terrio a couple of times and one day he's going up the elevator and he's going up this elevator uh just going down from the elevator down, from his house down the yeah. elevator mm-hmm. so he's going down the elevator and it just stops on a random floor all of a sudden and he looks out and terrio's just standing there and Without thinking, without knowing what to do, he just runs at him and hugs him. <laughs> right, right. And I think that he he said that he had seen him other times, but, you know, he was caught off guard this time. So I think that his instinct kicked in. You know, oh, yeah, do the thing. And so it made it more um, effective, I think, because he wasn't thinking about it. It just happened that way. Right. Um, so... Uh, he runs up and he grabs him and they end up uh, inadvertently starting the ritual of Chud or Chud. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's fighting with him and they have this back and forth and this will. And you can feel like Jamie immediately has the upper hand. And, you know, even because Jamie he says, he's surprised because he Thumper didn't expect him expect to, to do that. All. Right. Um, so he's grabbing him and they have this thing. And then all all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Uh, a ball three balls of light just appear and you just see them and they glow big white bright light and then dark light all at the same time and then jamie wins the ritual of chud and the lights retreat in and then he's like i didn't really know what that was it was just such a bright light but i could see the dead at the same time and you know it's almost like it was a dead light and then Mm -hmm. i in my seat went what (laughs) <laughs> right, because, you know, like, ah! you've seen the movie. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. I was so, like, just blown away that, like, Pennywise is in this book. That's crazy. Right. And, like, it's not, uh, obviously, it's not the clown Pennywise version. And Pennywise is just the moniker that I know it by because that's where I was introduced to this thing. You know, this outer, right. it's an outer universe entity. That concept's super dope, Steve. Good job. Very proud of you for that one. Um so the idea that this like thing doesn't exist in our universe and it's inhabiting dead people to like communicate and be in our universe mm-hmm. um, and to, to gain power in our universe. Brilliant. And then also the fact that like, you know, this book just came out this year, you know, we're going to get uh, probably in the next couple of months articles that are like, oh, man, Stephen King's newest book just introduced a new way for Pennywise. Pennywise is back at it again. Mm-hmm. It's back. Oh, my gosh. Jamie Conklin. What it like? You know, and also it's just funny to me, too, because it shows that like it didn't learn at all. It still underestimates 12 year olds like no right? other. <laughs> no, nobody's business. It's like you it know, left dairy I, and it went to New York and it's still just like, dang it, 12 year olds. They're the bane of me. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, and Steve writes from that 12 year old perspective, that 12 year old invincible believe everything Mm-hmm. perspective so it just it's so so cool i love yeah, it yeah and he does a so, great job with it too so because he defeats thumper this dead light thumper 
weirdness. Um, he has, he gets control. It's like, uh, it's like catching a leprechaun, you know, you get to keep it. Uh, you know, so he has, he's like, no, you have to leave me alone and go away and only come if I call and I'm never, ever going to call you. Right. And he pretty much, I think the, one of the coolest things too, is he comes up with the phrase with, uh, the professor and he says, whenever I call you, you're haunting me now, but from now on, I haunt you whenever I call you come to me. And he's like, no, Mm -hmm. I don't want to do that. And he wins and he just sends him away. And then, so now this 12 year old controls the deadlight. He's just got told like, like, you know, obviously, I'm sure you don't really control it. Like, there's something that, like, th- it can probably do, but it stops it. Well, right, somehow. because it's it's been it's been bested. Um, and I feel like that when when Jamie won, he did gain some power. He may not control it fully, but he gained a power over it to control it in relation to himself. Right. And um, I think he also gains a little bit more of a power over the ghost too, because after this, the ghost starts to vibrate and stuff, you know, like Mm -hmm. he's, it's like, uh, and you know, it's fun too, because you know, in it, uh, at least in the movies, so like, I'm sorry, everyone, I haven't read the books yet and I will soon, October, one year anniversary, get ready for it. Um, Bill is 12 when he wins the ritual of Chud the first Mm -hmm. time. And, you know, he doesn't know it's the ritual of Chud that time, but he, I just think that like, that's a cool like parallel. I also was just thinking Mm -hmm. like, I wonder if this book is set 27 years after the end of it. That would be pretty fun. It was like 86 or 87, right? Oh my God. Okay. So it was set in 57 and then 84 and 85 and, and then add 27, 28 to that. This would have been 2014, 15 when he was writing it. Eight. Yes, 2008 is when this happened, which oh, is. What's when like all the stock market stuff starts crashing. And that's when he sees the deadlight for the first time, too. Brilliant, yep. And Steve. that Good is, job. in fact, 27 years after it. Good Woo. job. Brilliant. Look at that. We're making these connections. Um, Math man. <laughs> yeah, right? And I think, like, the cool thing is, too, is for me at that point, I wanted to finish this book to find out that storyline. Like, mm-hmm. now, now, like, I'm just this Jamie Conklin character in this novel, like, he has to get his own series after this section. And I think, too, like, you know, please. After the, yeah, please, please, please. <laughs> and after the movie. You know, being so popular as it is, just knowing that it's back, I think people will grab onto this book and we're going to see a big, like, I think people like this one a lot. And it's short enough that people can read through it. And then, you know, like, I'm excited to see where this is going to go. And it's short enough. And I think that with, I think that it's short enough. And since it is written from Jamie's perspective, I think that it would actually be pretty easy to translate to a visual form. Mm-hmm. exactly you know you could have uh, narrations and all that stuff too mm-hmm. because it's it's written from his perspective so it can all be in his brain you know and too like we don't know who he's writing this story for like even at the end we don't find out who or why he's writing this story right so, yeah we don't ever find out who jamie's audience is and or if this is just like his diary it made me i honestly think like it'd be cool if it is a continuation if this is him 
in an interrogation room telling the story of his like this is what's been happening this is how i know all of this stuff like you know maybe he mm-hmm. stopped like some major terrorist attack all of a sudden they're like how did you do that and he's like well here's my story you know right um, i mean that's a possibility so it's funny. oh and, and there's the there's a power surge yeah. So when when he is fighting Thumper and bests him, there's a power surge that blows all the electrical electrical in their building. Um, none of the other buildings around it were affected, just their building, which is also important for later. Yeah. And um, they end up uh, doing uh, – ends- you know, from that point on, the novel almost goes fast – forward through the main plot you know we get some more montage stuff and then all of a sudden like literally like maybe 20 pages later liz is kidnapping him again right and he's in high school and he's on the tennis team so he's significantly older right and he's 16 7 he's 16 and liz kidnaps him and you know this time she's uh, like you had said strung out she's gotten to the point now where she's not just running drugs she's doing the drugs right and uh, he makes such a difference, too. He's like, you know, the first time it was there was like an almost an amenable quality of me getting in the car. But now it is only by force. I don't want right. to she, she Yeah, she shows him her gun and then plays him part of the recording that she's got. Yeah, and that's from, where that, mm-hmm. the little reveal of the recording is brilliant there, too. Um, and I think, too, oh, oh, we forgot to say... Um, during all of those couple of years when he was in high school, Professor Burkett passes away. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's important. I just flipped to that page. And I was like, oh, shoot, yeah. He had scheduled a time they were going to go have coffee so that he could talk to him and tell him about everything that had happened and ask him some more questions. And uh, and then Professor Burkett died. And he leaves this really – and he sends everyone this email that just, you know, says, "I'm all of my appointments I'm going to have to cancel. I'm going to Florida to see my friend. And then on the – plane he has a heart attack hmm hmm i just don't think that's a coincidence no. right because it, it literally is the next chapter he says i made the meeting to go talk to burkett about what to do now that i had control of the deadlight and then immediately then he dies so hmm made me really feel like uh burkett was doing a mother abigail staying alive just long enough to like make sure that like he was able to, like, the forces of good were able to do what needed to be done. Right. Or, well, and it, or that Thumper, Thumper's spirit, ghost, whatever, uh, knew that Professor Burkett was going to be helpful to Jamie and, you know, Took him got out. him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, regardless, though, when he dies, Jamie goes to see him, and the ghost of Burkett says, whatever you do, do not call him. You will lose your soul. You will lose your mind. You will lose everything. Do not call it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's fun because even it is capitalized, and I thought that was such a, like, little, like, and I think he's yelling it, so it's like, you know, it has to be capitalized, but also it's like, <laughs> right. It's just, it's I fun. had the exact same thought. I was like, yeah. oh, <laughs> deadlines, um, it. Yeah. And so he picks Crossover. it up. Crossover. It really, honestly, though, like, truly is. And I think that building off of the deadlights is such a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, they get, Liz kidnaps him. She's strung out. She's shooting up heroin. She's doing cocaine and heroin off the back of her hand while she's driving, like, a total, a, you know, just a total cool Total person. maniac. Yeah. The coolest person in the room. Easy. Um, right. And she tells 
Um, and her nose is bleeding. She says yeah. her septum's gone. She's, I'm like, oh. Septum's gone. I'll get it fixed later. And it's like, oh, honey, there's no fixing that later. Like, your septum's <laughs> just gone now. And uh, during all of this, Jamie's trying to, like, figure out why she's doing this. And we find out, you know, Liz has lost her job now. She's 100% mm-hmm. out. She's actually being investigated and about to go to trial. She's out on bail. So she wants to go out to her drug dealer, her supplier. She wants, he just died. And she is going to take all of the drugs from him and just get one last score and, like, leave. Um, right. She's going to use the money to bail, get a new identity, get her septum fixed, and, <laughs> and just, yeah, you know, and, go check into rehab, do the things, get her life clean, and just become a new person and get away from all of the, the uh, stuff. Yeah. And uh, they get to the house. They see... A uh, Jamie sees a ghost in front of the house, and he doesn't. He has a hole through the bottom of his mouth, like in his mm-hmm. head. It's just like a big red hole, and he doesn't say anything. But because the, the ghost, like you know, pretty much like tells him, Shh, like puts his fingers over his lips, and right, like the shushing motion. Yeah, and Liz but, takes yeah. him inside. They go inside, and like you had said, it's brilliant. It, the way he sets it up is so good. He sees the sandwich, and he's like, "Why would a dead man have a sandwich?" And then he wakes up and you see that he's tied to the bed and Liz is like, oh, don't worry, I can fix that and just shoots him right in front of Jamie. And the way Stephen writes the shot and everything, you know, that's pretty like basic Stephen King stuff. That didn't really like get me in any different way. Mm -mm. The after effect, though, of Jamie and Jamie processing what just happened and Jamie just pretty much going into a fugue state of shock and then Liz forcing him out of it that was wonderfully written that's some really solid writing right there it is and you know he's older but he's still just a kid and man the trauma of all of that yeah. and basically you know it's like it's like shaking somebody almost she yep. doesn't yeah and she pulls him out of it you know and the ghost doesn't show up right away which you know makes sense we've never been in the same room with jamie as someone died so we don't know how his powers work you know maybe it takes a couple hours for the ghost to show up but right then the ghost ends up and, showing and he up. doesn't even know he doesn't even know if a ghost shows up every time somebody dies yeah it could just be so certain people it just could be certain people so you know she's gone to all this trouble and he, you know, she doesn't know if it's going to work and he doesn't know if it's going to work and right um, so they go and he f- they walk around the house and inside they f- end up finding the ghost. And mm-hmm. he's asking him, you know, where are the pills at? Where are the pills at? And he doesn't want to tell him. So, you know, Jamie ends up using his powers probably on accident at this point. I don't think whatever power he has, he can't do anything consciously about it right now. Yeah. And I don't think he I, he's in that proverbial rock and hard place. I don't think he wants to help her, but he also knows that if he doesn't push a little and and get the information that he wants that you know he's probably next yeah exactly and uh you know they end up uh uh talking to him and he pulls out the information and he says that all of his pills are in his panic room so they go into the panic room and uh he's for some reason he just doesn't want him to go into the panic room and he get into the panic room and find out that you know this man we his wife had been missing and we find out that he had actually just tortured her to death and killed her. And it was a... Uh, he had um, a photo album of it. Yeah, it was a very serial killer, sexual fantasy type of deal. 
And he was very yeah, ashamed was. about it, you could tell. And he didn't want anyone to know, but he uh, ends up, that's where the pills are. And he pulls out the, Liz pulls out the pills and there's not more than like 50 to 60 of them. You know, there's a couple right, and not what she most. expected, and She's not what she expected. Of pills, yeah, right. And she just loses her like mind. She goes completely bananas and tries to pretty much just tries to kill Jamie. And mm-hmm. you know, Jamie starts running away from him, and then Jamie uh, does you know something that I'd been waiting for him to do the whole novel. And, you know, you put the gun on the wall and it doesn't go off. I'm going to think that you didn't write well. You know, if I see a mm-hmm. gun, it better be shot. So if you give exactly. control of this 12-year-old the deadlight, he better summon the deadlight. And he does. He summons it and he says, Terrio, Terrio, get him off of me. Get him off of me. Get Liz off of me. The deadlight shows up, makes Liz go crazy. She falls down the stairs and dies. And then he comes down the stairs with these big open arms and he's like, Give me a hug. Why don't we go for the ritual again? And Jamie's mm-hmm. like, nah, we're good. Don't worry. You can just leave. And yeah. he's still in his control, so he leaves. And he's still in control, so he has to. Right. Yeah. And I think that as long as, long as Jamie cannot be tricked into redoing the ritual, I think he's going to maintain control. What's going right. to be interesting is when he does lose control somehow. Like what's going to uh, yeah, happen? I think, yeah, I think in future stories with Jamie, he is absolutely going to lose control and it's going to be the story of him having to regain it or yeah. banish it forever or whatever. And however that plays out, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, that ends up, uh, you know, and that pretty much, that's the end of the novel, like at the end of the story and everything here is just, you know, resolving action, telling us like how everything plays out. Right, right. And well, that's not true at all, is it? There's this pretty big reveal about his dad. I mean, um, but that's kind of wrapping up the that's the that's story. wrapping up loose ends because you know one of the things that happened while he and Liz were driving to this, you know, drug lord's house is he's like, "Did my mom ever tell you who my dad was?" Yeah, and she you says, know, and no. she says no. You know, and so we know that that is a question that's been on Jamie's mind. I mean. I can only imagine that if you didn't know who your dad was that, and your mom was, would never say anything about it, right. that, that there would always be a curiosity. Even if you have a great relationship with your mom, like he obviously has, you know, there's always that, that just curiosity. Yep. Well, and then also too, you know, it just, it, you find out that it is a secret for a reason. And I think that, like, you know, it's one of those things where you don't ask for things you don't want to know, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, you may regret finding out those answers. And mm-hmm. they go at the end of the book to visit Uncle Harry, and Uncle Harry passes away. And for the first time, he's able to actually talk to Uncle Harry in a conscious manner where he is, you know, not... There where he's coherent. Stricken. He's not stricken with Alzheimer's. Right. And because so, that's the first thing he asks is, you know, are... Are you still, you know, in your, is your brain still addled or something? I don't remember exactly what his words are. No, it's something exactly like that. And he's like, no, I'm fine. And then he just says, so I asked the question and he says, do you know who my dad is? And Uncle Harry says, I am. And, you know, at first you you just, they're kind of like, oh, then I guess this isn't actually Tia's brother. And then Stephen King goes into it and he's like, uh, no, this is a child of incest. This child, like, you know, his wife mm-hmm. died. 
his mother laid down there just to like comfort him and one thing led to the next and another kind of comfort led to another comfort and then six weeks later she found out she was pregnant well right but then jamie also says but you know that speculation because i didn't even really ask i don't i don't need to know any details he's like i don't need to know any details and you know we get this whole story that jamie comes up with but and he tells us at the end that it doesn't actually matter you know because his mother kept it a secret for a reason Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, you know, I'm 23 now. I'm going to Princeton. I'm studying anthropology. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I'm excited to see where my life goes. And that's. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, he says, you know, it turns out that my father uncle suffered from early onset familial Alzheimer's disease and that there's a genetic test that he can get to take it. And he's like, I suppose I will later and it's yeah yeah so oh that's the yeah joy land love anyway. um and uh and then the very ending he says like he acknowledges like some point he's gonna have to fight the deadlight but later mm-hmm. and but it's later. a good um, always later yeah it's a good like little throwaway throughout the novel you know just then later 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 i found this out later i did that later i found yeah. right it's a, yeah and like you know just realizing you know like i didn't know this in the moment but later i found this out and how that like changes the story it's a cool like concept how he played around with mm-hmm. that um also i think what you know just like a couple of theories and like things about it that i thought um or do you want to rate it first what do you think? Mm. Regardless, no, let's go ahead and let's go ahead and talk about it, and then we can do the ratings last. So I do think, though, like you know, theory-wise and everything, uh, I think there's a moment in the novel. <clears throat> there's a moment in the novel where t- uh, Jamie goes to visit his uncle Harry, and he's with uh, his mom, and this mm-hmm. is when uh, Terry O is still haunting him. So. He's sitting there looking at his uncle Harry, and Terrio leans down in his ear, and he says, "What he has is um, genetic. It's hereditary. You're gonna end up with it. You have it too." Um, and during that same moment, though, Uncle Harry is looking directly over uh, Jamie's shoulder, mm-hmm. and it doesn't directly say it, but I think the thing that Terrio is talking about is his ability to see ghosts. I think yep. that that ran in his line. I think that he does not actually have early on a early onset Alzheimer. I think the deadlight showed himself to him first, but he was to have been older. He must've been an adult. He must've, you know, he was already had the literary agency. He'd already had all these things. He didn't have the same belief, you know, and it damaged him, but mm. you know, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I guess that, the medical community could have seen it as the Alzheimer's thing. And so there's well, that mean, genetic test that all of a sudden you just have a 40 year old man that just doesn't remember who he is, where he is, who his family is, all of these things. I don't even think yeah, you'd and run, you wouldn't even run tests. You just know like, Oh wow. That is literally Alzheimer's. Well, and, and it happened really quickly and yeah, I mean, maybe they would have run tests because it happened so fast. And they, but they would have been looking for things like, I don't know, a blood clot or a stroke or something yes. like that. And they didn't see any of those indicators. And maybe the the deadlight damage looked enough like a uh, Alzheimer's or dementia damaged brain that mm-hmm. 
or maybe it's even one of those things where uh, you know there's a lot of uh, canon like ideas where you know magic and supernatural events when they happen but you haven't been touched by the magic to see them your brain changes what happened in the real world so that way it makes sense you know so right. supernaturally yes this happened but that magic also made it so that way his blood type changed so it looked like it was Alzheimer's. You know, there's a lot of different ways that, like, Steve could play that. I think regardless, mm-hmm. though, Uncle Harry or, you know, you know un- Uncle Dad Harry. Uncle Daddy. Like, <laughs> Uncle Daddy. Uncle Daddy Harry for sure went crazy seeing a ghost. And the thing that is hereditary he's talking about, is, I don't think it's Alzheimer's. I'm pretty sure it's got to be this ghost seeing ability. I know? think so, too. I, I think, think so, too. I think we're going to find out that that was why Harry made such a good literary agent for some reason. Is You know, he used this ability to do things that other people couldn't. And I think that'll be interesting to see. Um, I do when think, we get more about Jamie. Yeah, exactly. I think I, we're going to, we have to, right? If right. we don't, I'm going to be so disappointed. <laughs> yeah, he, it's a good character. He set it up to, he even talks about it here, you know. I thought about being a, you know, a private eye. You know, I can talk to mm-hmm. the dead. I could probably be a really good one. And uh, Yep. I would love that series. I'd read the heck out of that series. That sounds great. Um, and honestly, I think we've talked about all my other theories. I would be, think it'd be really cool if, you know, we saw Jamie end up in the Dark Tower somewhere and something like that. <laughs> you know, and I know like now it, the only way that would probably happen is if he writes another book to add to the Dark Tower, which would be cool. Yeah. But which, you know, I also, I, and- I'm saying that like I don't even know. I'm assuming very heavily that the Deadlight is involved in the Dark Tower somewhere. But I'm I don't know that, so we'll find out if I'm right or not. Thank you for not saying anything. <laughs> yeah, you know the, this whole dark tower thing is going to be really hard for me because I have to figure out what I can say and what I can't say, and with each book, it's going to be different and ugh, so hard. <laughs> That's why we have them spaced out too. Yes. So you don't we don't yes. cram it all together on accident. Um. Do you have any like ideas or thoughts or anything going forward about this one that you're like you want to see more of? Or I, I mean, I know I'm sure that I'm going to be disappointed and we're not going to get more Jamie Conklin books, but because you know, sometimes it, no matter how much we love the characters, he's he's done with that. You know, the the, Why the story would you introduce, is gone. Like all of these big universe elements, though, without like the intent to like, is there other novels like this where he just has these big connector points and then like they're never touched again? Yep. Damn. I mean, and dang. and every year and and every year I fall for it every year. Every year, no, every I don't year fall there's for it every another year. Christine movie coming or another Christine uh, another sequel. Christine book coming out, and every year I click on it thinking this is going to be the year. No, it is still not the year. So yeah, so you know he does that. He does. I mean, and we've talked about this multiple times already about how he writes his characters in such a way that you want to know what happens next. Yeah, definitely. That you're not you're not always going to find out what happens next, but he writes his characters even in a 230-page book, he writes his characters in such a way that you want to know what happens next. Yeah. I'm you know interested. what I mean? Yeah. I also want you to know that you just gave me the idea that Christine the car is the woman on wheels that he talks about in the prophecy. So it'd be pretty wild if that's what it is. Um, do you want to rate this book real quick? Yeah, let's rate it. I think it's your turn to go first. All right. So uh, writing, plot, it factor. Um, writing, or wait, plot was first. So plot, um, 
honestly, I gotta give this little boy a six. Uh, you know, there's some really good plot elements, but the overall A plot of the story of the who done it, the mystery of everything, pretty predictable and not incredibly um uh, like an original like plot. It's nothing like about it that made me like, oh my god, this is wild. There are specific things that he does that he brings in from his other things that made me freak out. But I think that those things go in it factor, not in plot. Okay. And I agree with you on the plot. I also was thinking a six because of kind of those same points. I mean, it's a good story. It's got a great plot. Um, it goes through well. There's The subplots are great. I mean, he works it all in there. But it's simple. Right. Um, yeah, exactly. And, and it's not... I mean, it's a, a new twist on an old story. And not, I really enjoyed that. There's not any problem with that. But I don't think it's, you know, it's not something that I, I need to give more than a six. Yeah. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with simple. But if you're going to do simple, it has to be incredibly dynamic. And I mm -hmm. do think that while this is dynamic, it's not dynamic enough to make up for that. Well, and I think that where the dynamic part comes in is going to come into the it factor. I don't think that yep. the dynamic part comes into the plot. I think That's that the twists fall into the it plot, the it factor. So let's talk All about right. that. So writing, uh, I would give this probably a, a seven, you know, an eight. I think that like, that's going to be the thing is trying to get harsh on the writing um, mm -hmm. for any of the novels going forward. You know, the character development is really solid I would say, though, you know, I'm giving it a seven just because some of it's a little ham-fisted compared to, you know, actually, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to give it a six because I'm going to go right back down to six with this, too. It's a little bit more ham-fisted compared to, like, the stand, you know, a lot of that in the stand is very elegantly put into it, whereas this is, like, you know, ham-fisted into it. And I know that that does fit the overall narrative of the story being, you know, told by Jamie in the future. I would just have rather seen it told in a more elegant way. Yeah. See, and I think for the writing slash it factor, I'm going to give it a seven um, because you're giving the writing and the it factor a seven. I, Oh no writing. I'm going to give a six. I'm sorry. It okay. factors it, writing. I'm going to give it a six. A and again, it's similar reasons. It's, it's a simplistic writing style, I think, um, which I know is what he was going for. I'm not, you know, saying, Ugh, you know, he's slacking in his old age or anything. It was intentional. I absolutely believe that the writing style of this was intentional because it was supposed to be a book that you could sit down and read in one or two settings. Um, it's not supposed to be something that is going to, you know, make you read a few chapters and then have to sit and think about it for a while. You so know, I think honestly, that the writing style was intentional. And I do think, too, like, if we're just being even more critical about it, the character development in this one just is not on par with some of the other things we've read. Besides Jamie, every there's a lot of two-dimensional aspects to most characters. Mm -hmm. um, even his mom, sadly. But she is probably the most, well, Liz is probably the most developed character besides, his, uh, besides Jamie himself. So. I agree. You know, I agree. And, you nice. know, his mom is his mom is strong and, and she's got strong tendencies and she's um, he does a good job of portraying the the, the power and through. strength and the things and her fortitude with the struggles that she goes through. But he doesn't give her much of a personality. And she doesn't have anywhere to go. Like she just continues yeah. to do that the whole book instead of right. going somewhere with it. So, um, yeah. 
All right, and it factor, this bad boy gets a nine for me. Like, yeah. Like, the moment you brought in the deadlight, Steve, I was hooked. I was there for it. I was really excited about that. And then also, just the other, the kind of implications that this means, you know? That, like, there's these ways that you can control these supernatural creatures and the different things that it means and just the ideas there. It was I like that a lot, and it makes me want to reread it, especially if we get more of Jamie Conklin. Mm-hmm. I will definitely be rereading this if we get more. Yeah, see, and I think I'm going to go with, like, a 7.5. And because it is a great book, but I'm not like, oh, my gosh, you have to read this. That's Um, a good point. Yeah, definitely. I enjoyed it, and I will likely read it again in, you know, a few months. But it's not something that I'm going to be like, oh, my God, this was amazing. You have to read it. These universe are connectors. They just get me, dude. I'm so excited about mm-hmm. them every time. Um, so let's see. Six, six, nine, 12, 21. So I gave it a seven overall. And you gave it a 6.75 overall. So pretty yeah, we're, we're, we're about we stay on average with each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I did yeah. really enjoy it. And, it's really you know, great. I yeah. hope that I hope that a lot of people read it. And I hope that he and I really do hope we get some more with Jamie, because I do think that he's an interesting character. And I think that there are a lot of things that he could do um, if he wanted to. But that's not really his bread and butter. Right. Um, so. Well, and also, too, just I would recommend you read this book if you just want a nice, quick, fun thing to read and talk to us about if you're looking for something yeah. that you wanted to be involved you wanted to support us but you just didn't have the time to sit down and read a stand or any of these longer books that we've been reading and it's hard to get into the gunslinger in the dark tower pick up this one you like this one a lot and i right. think that you'll it's, enjoy it's talking a... to us about it yep yeah i agree i think that i think that's a very good assessment it's a great uh, one-shot book yeah and uh do you have anything else to say anything i don't you think so add? well all right so. Make sure you join us next week for the revival. Uh, uh, it's not the revival. It's just revival. It's I just keep saying revival. the revival. Like, <laughs> uh, for revival by Steve King. Uh, we're really excited about it. Also, Super. we're about to go watch an episode of The Stand. Well, probably soon at least. And uh, we're excited about that. So please make sure you subscribe to our Patreon. And, and yeah. we'll see you soon. This uh, my name is Otto Mullins. And I'm Kim Payne. And this has been our first time through. We hope you enjoyed yours. Otto, Kim, that was incredibly interesting. Great job today. If you would like to support First Time Through, you can follow us on Facebook, like us on Twitter, or send us an email at firsttimethroughpodcast at gmail.com. You can also become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash through to get exclusive early access, to get exclusive videos, and to become our exclusive friends. If that's interested to you, I'm interested. First Time Through, New Eyes on Castle Rock is produced by Empty Theater Productions. It's created by Kim Payne and Otto Mullins. Editing by Otto Mullins. Music by Jason Rager. Art by Kurt Payne at Who Knew Art.